God will take care of you. Lord willing, next week we will, we will come back to Psalm 119. Uh, we have two hymns, 297 and 299. God will take care of you. Let's sing the first, second, and fourth stanzas of Psalm uh, uh, 297.
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. I'm going to tease you a little bit tonight in the beginning, and I think you'll find out who this person is that I'm speaking about. Hebrews 11 and verse number 4. Hebrews 11.4, here's what the Bible says. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. That last part of that verse is used to explain that great saints of old, those who have gone on to heaven, uh, they wrote or they preached and it was recorded and we have those in written form or in a recording and yet they're gone but we listen to them we read about them and so he being dead yet speaking there's a man in the 19th century the subject tonight is about this man who was very prominent in the 19th century he was saved when he was 15 in the winter in january and his first sermon was preached four months later now, if you've read biographies before, you know already who that man is. I'm not going to say. At 19, four years after he got saved, he became pastor of a church in England, specifically in a city called London. Hint, hint. And at 19, he came, became the pastor of this prominent church. It was dwindling. But when he became the pastor, uh, after one year, they began to publish his sermons each week in the newspapers. And on Monday, he would edit the messages before they would transcribe that for the newspapers. The, church, the church's attendance grew soon thereafter, not right away, but soon thereafter to about 5,000 in his church. And they had standing room for a thousand more people. 
So he's a young man. He's just a young man of 19. And he was very influential and his preaching was very popular. And there's a reason for that. The young man who preached for over 30 years in this one church, they say about him, his preaching was plain spoken, plain spoken. And he spoke, quote, at the level of the comprehension of people from all walks of life. He decried preaching that was muddled with ivory tower language that it required a dictionary rather than a Bible to explain it. In other words, the, the people of this city of London, uh, he said, they don't need highfalutin, big, fancy words that they don't understand. And when they hear these big words in church, they need to look at the Bible, but instead they need a dictionary. So he was saying uh, that I need to preach plainly to plain people. And it makes a lot of sense. And so his writing ministry also was plain, plain and very popular with the common man. Quote, there is no particular virtue being seriously unreadable. <laughs> Which is a very good quote. There is no particular value being seriously unreadable. Why write a book? Why write a, a column in the newspaper if people cannot read the words. So this man, this great preacher, he was called the Prince of Preachers. Already you know who this is, the Prince of Preachers. Those who see a virtue, he says, in dullness. Think about this. Those who see a virtue in dullness. Those who see that it is good to be boring. So I'll go back to the quote. Those who see a virtue in dullness have full permission to condemn for a sufficient number will approve. So this man, Charles Spurgeon says, if you think dull preaching, dull teaching is good, you'll have a lot of folk to agree with you. And then he continues by saying, yet there'll be a lot more who will agree with me. Although its tone is rather moral than religious, his writings about a particular volume or two, I have continued, he says, to use the simplest form of our mother tongue to smite evil. It has been my earnest endeavor and assuredly there is a need to have plain, simple writing for the common man and plain, simple preaching for the common man who is in church. So do you see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 it says we use great plainness of speech according to the apostle paul we use great plainness of speech so just like the apostle paul this great man who is dead yet he speaketh emphasized teaching and preaching the bible to people so that they can understand it not to impress them with what they know but to convey truth to them from the bible so that they can understand it and practice it and that's what he tried to do and so this 19th century pastor was Charles H. Spurgeon. Now, he published a monthly almanac to communicate to the common man every day of the month. And so through his archetype, John Plowman, John Plowman, he would teach common people about spiritual things and common sense things. And so John Plowman is the subject tonight. And John Plowman, I think, 
you will find has a lot of good sense, even though this is many years ago, it applies a lot to today's culture and today's people. And so he wanted the masses to lead moral, peaceable, cheerful lives by means of practicality and plainness. And so here are some things I want to tease you with, and I will continue next Wednesday, his book about John Plowman, about a common man and reaching the common man with common sense and spiritual truth. It is full of spiritual, spiritual, biblical truth. Although you will not find a verse for everything that he taught to and through John Plowman. And so his sayings, first of all, I'll give you some to tease you and to tempt you to maybe pay attention, even pick up his book and read it yourself. And so his wise sayings. Number one, advice to persons about to fight. You know what he says? Don't. <laughs> don't fight. Don't fight. He says, don't do it. And behind that would be, you'll get more trouble. First of all, you might get beat up. And secondly, you might get arrested. So he says, my advice to people about to fight, don't have some self-control. Here's another one he thought uh, he gave that was, I think, very good. Um, advice, advice when most need, when most needed is least heeded. Now you think that through. Advice when most needed is least heeded. People need help, they need advice, and when it's needed the most to get them out of trouble or prevent them from going to trouble, then uh, it's not paid attention to. Then listen to it. That's good common sense. He reminds me of another man, a founding father, who had a lot of witty, wise sayings. Who would that other man be in America? Okay. All right. You know his initials, right? Well, for those of you who. BF, Benjamin Franklin. Absolutely correct. His wisdom is really amazing. Some say he's not a Christian. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe he was not, but he sure had some common sense and a lot of good advice about a lot of issues. And so did Charles Spurgeon. And he says this also in his uh, volume or two of John Plowman's sayings. Advice the most needed is least heeded. Persons usually come for it, advice, when their minds are made up. Well, isn't that true? They'll come to you, but they already know what they're going to do. So why are they asking for advice? They want someone to confirm what they think is so about what they're going to do. They want someone to approve what they think they're going to do anyway. So why even recruit someone to give you advice if you know you're going to do it anyway? Well, here's what he also says about that. And some even think you, their enemy, if you suggest that their way is not the best. Well, that's very true, too. Uh, what do you think about this, Carmen? What do you think about this? Miranda, okay, should I do this or not? It doesn't sound like it's a good thing to do. Well, who do you think you are? I thought you were my friend. And so this is what he is saying. Some of you think you their enemy if you suggest that their way is not the best. So is it that people take only such advice as suits their inclinations? That's really wise. And so sometimes you have to, what the Proverbs say, Answer a fool according to his folly. Answer not a fool according to his folly. And sometimes you find yourself wasting a lot of time because they are foolish and they will not do what the right thing is anyway. And so 
This is what John Plowman is saying to the common people. Here's another one. He who beats a donkey is worse than a donkey. <laughs> Cruelty to animals is utterly nonsense, he says. Very true. Another one. He who begins many things finishes few. Now you can apply that to a lot of things in modern life. He who begins a lot of things finishes few. What does that mean? Some people start a lot of different projects. They finish only a few of them. They're always got a knife for a lot of different things. And they are so excited about things. They're very impulsive. And when they start something, they intend to finish it, but they go into another project. They never seem to finish their projects. So he says, he who begins many things finish few. John Plowman is a very wise man. And he hopes that people who read his almanac, they would take to heart what he advises and they would begin to finish projects that they start. Okay? So far, so good. Wise sayings from a wise man, you think? Yes, so. Right, here's another one. Here's another one. He who blabs about others, finish the sentence. He who blabs about others, he who blabs about others, what do you think the sentence finishes as? Sorry? What did you say? Ah, you're close to Mr. Spurgeon there. He who begins, uh, he who blabs about others will blab about me. He who blabs about others to you, they will blab to others about you. So if you listen to the blabbing or the gossip, oh, really? No kidding. I didn't know that. Oh, I don't believe that he did that. Oh, that is so horrible. Yes, yeah, that very same person is going to talk about you. And so good policy. Don't listen to gossip because if you do, they'll gossip about you. And that's what Mr. Plowman says, the common man to the common man. And he continues about that. He who finds fault with my neighbors to me will in turn find fault with me to my neighbors. Ooh, that's really, that's really true. <laughs> Sometimes you want to just give an ear and say, oh, but then be careful because Mr. Plowman says, well, you know, if you listen to them talking about your neighbors, then you better watch out because they'll talk to you one day to other neighbors. So it's good reason to wisely not say what comes to your mind all the time. It's wise to not say what's on your mind all the time. A fool, Proverbs says, chapter 29, verse 11, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Now, Mr. Spurs does not give a verse uh, to a lot of these uh, wise sayings, but I just wanted to add some verses to it. But even though he didn't have a verse for everyone, he had scriptural basis for what he is saying. And just remember this, just because someone doesn't have a verse for every single thing that is of common sense, it doesn't mean you don't receive it as common sense a lot of times people don't have a verse about what they're saying but it's good common sense um bring an umbrella with you it might rain now it's sunny right now but it still might rain so be prepared here's a good saying it is better to prepare and prevent than to repair and repent 
That's a good way of saying. I don't know who to credit that one to, but that's a good one. So don't have to have a verse for every single thing that's common sense and wise. And don't don't say, no, you're wrong because you don't have a verse to support that. Well, when it comes to doctrine, you should have a verse to support what you say. But when it comes to common sense and principle, you don't always have a verse all the time. So it's okay. All right, so he says, so it says, he who finds fault with my neighbors to me will in turn find fault with me to my neighbors. Now, along that line, if you listen to someone out of courtesy because you want to be the type that is empathetic, sometimes you may want to just be wise and say, you know, I don't know about that. I know this person. I don't think he would do that. So have you talked to him about what you're telling me? Have you gone to her about what you're telling me? And so let that person know kindly but firmly that you're not the type of person that enjoys hearing bad news about people. Even though it possibly could be true, but maybe it's not true, don't give that impression to people that you are a gossiper hearer, a gossiping hearer. Wait, a hearer of gossip, a hearer of gossip. All right, it's a good advice to Mr. Spurgeon. It's a John Plowman, I should say. All right, here, here's another one. Idleness. Idleness. What is idleness? Idleness. When a car is idle, what is the car doing? At a stop sign, stop light, the car is... Using gas, that's not doing anything. You have your brake stepped on. You're not moving forward, but the engine's on. You're idling. Or you put the car in neutral, the car is idling, but you're not moving anywhere. So idleness is the key of beggary. Beggary. And the root of all evil. Now we know that the love of money is the root of all, of all evil. So he's not contradicting the Bible. He's just simply saying the cause of all, of all trouble, the cause of all monkey business is that people have too much time on their hands. They're too idle. They're idle. They're not going here. They're not doing anything. They just, their mind is idle. Their hands are idle. They're not doing anything that is constructive. They're not learning anything. They're just sitting around doing nothing that is of value. And we would say, they're just sitting around listening to something with their devices. They're watching something, but it's not contributing to their, uh, their, their mind, their character. They're just idle. It's the key to beggary. It's the key, he says, in, in other words, it's a key to poverty. It's a key to loss. It's a key to going backwards rather than going forward in life. Oh, listen to this one. Fellows, fellows, have two stomachs. <laughs> How many stomachs does a cow have? Three or four? Two? Four? All right. Fellows have two stomachs for eating and drinking <laughs> when they have no stomach for work. Fellows have two stomachs for eating. No, oh, they just are so quick to be nice to eat and to drink. They just love to eat and to drink. But when it comes to work, they have no stomach for work. Oh, I can't. I don't have a stomach for that. Now, tonight before church, um, my wife was deboning chicken. And I did something I never did before. I don't want to do it again. She was putting, taking up the meat from the bones. And then she said, oh, can you get this giblet? There was already a bag of giblets or a container. And she says, can you pick this up and put it in there? And we were in a rush to get to church, so I, I did this. 
<laughs> was it? What was it? I think it was a gizzard. Oh. Yeah, so I have no stomach for that. Some people have no stomach for work. They'd rather play. They'd rather play. They'd rather play. They'd rather enjoy themselves in something pleasurable than work. A long time ago, some um, some grandmother visited a daughter or a son, I don't remember, in a country somewhere in the mainland. And there was a circus in town for about two or three weeks. And uh, they went to the circus on a Saturday. Sunday, they went to church. Wednesday night came around and the uh, grandmother said to the little boy, son, tonight's Wednesday. I'm going to church. Would you like to come to church with me? You know what the boy said to the grandma? No, grandma, the circus is in town. I know, but son, don't you want to come to the church? Come to church with me? She says, well, grandma, if you've ever been to the circus, you never want to go to church again. You know what that was about? We'd rather do things that please us than to do something that is productive or good. And so some people have no stomach for work. Work is a difficult thing. And that's why people get paid for work because work is not pleasurable. That's why people hire people to do something because they don't have the time or they don't have the strength or the manpower. So they need to hire someone else to do the dirty work or the hard work. Remember Mike Rowe of Dirty Works of Fame? He does, does all kinds of jobs and he really did it. He was really there, it, whether it be the oil rigs of Texas or uh, he came to Hawaii one time, went to Upper, Upper Peninsula one time, helped with logging, does all kind of jobs. And he has learned that it takes a lot of work to get things done in America. If people didn't want to work, things will slow down to a crawl. As a matter of fact, nowadays, people don't want to work. You have restaurants that don't have certain hours because they don't have enough servers. Fast food places, they have to cut the hours of dining because they don't have people to hard to, hard to work. They don't want to work. People have two stomachs for eating and drinking when they have no stomach for work. That's a sad commentary in the culture when people don't want to work. Proverbs 19.15 says this. Now, oh, take a look at that verse if you can. Proverbs 19.15. Work. Work is not fun, but work is good. You feel good when you're done working. 19.15, Proverbs says, Slothfulness, slothfulness, casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer something. Hunger. Hunger. Remember what Mr. Plowman says? Fellows have two stomachs for eating and drinking. However, an idle soul will suffer hunger. He won't get the drink. He won't get to eat because you don't have the money to buy it. He'll have to depend on somebody else. Uh, Brother Bobby today told me some people, not relatives to him, but relatives of somebody else, boys, teenage boys, of a, another person's, let's see, um, somebody's, the mother of these two teenage boys living where he used to live on Rose Street in that apartment, they came over to this house, to Bobby's house, Uncle Bobby's house, and because they knew the, the, the caregiver in the house, and they also knew um, Uncle Bobby, but he didn't know them. They came and rang his doorbell. Do you know have a doorbell? Here's the doorbell. They rang his doorbell, and then uh, the caregiver answered the door. And then they said, they said, hi, we are so-and-so. And the caregiver says, I don't know you. 
And the caregiver says, what are you doing here? They said, we came because we're hungry. Teenage boys, we came because we're hungry. You got something to eat? The caregiver says, no, I don't have anything. I don't know you. They came over, these two boys, from what I learned from Uncle Bobby, they are boys that just watch TV all day long. They just walk around, do nothing. And they were hungry and they expected someone to feed them. Now, that's an example of people who wanna eat and drink. They got two stomachs, but they have no stomach to work. Shame, bad, bad. And so uh, in 2 Thessalonians, come over here with me too, since you're talking about work. 2 Thessalonians chapter three. You know, uh, is it John Smith in the Chesapeake uh, colony or the Virginia colony? Some of the men that came aboard that ship uh, to the new world, they were not Christians. They were not in it, but therefore, but for um, adventure and uh, business opportunities, investments. And so others had to work, dig the soil, work the ground, plant seed and all that to grow a crop. And these men, some of them, these opportunists, they just partook of the food and things. And so John Smith said, hey, you know what? After a while, he began to see what's going on. These guys are mooching off people who work hard. And he finally says, hey, you know what? He didn't say, you know what? He says, okay, from now on, if you don't work, you don't eat. It was a shock. But he pulled things together. And so in Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says in verse number 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, John Smith may have quoted that verse. John Smith read the Bible and he may have referred to this scripture. For we hear, verse 11, that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Verse 12. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, verse 13, be not weary in well-doing. So work is good, but some people, they don't want to work, but they want to benefit from those others who work hard and they have the, they have the water, they have the fruit. And they, no, no, you work. All right, so able-bodied people, this is what, who he's talking about. He's not talking about people like our brother Bobby or others who legitimately cannot work, the elderly or those who have poor health and so on. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those kind of people. He's saying those of you are able-bodied, but you're lazy. He says, shame on you. This is about people who can work, but they don't work. Are we seeing that today? We see a lot of that today. And then he says this, that little hole just under your nose, what is that little hole just under your nose? That's right, Timothy, your mouth. That little hole just under your nose swallows up in idle hours. Now he's talking about men, fathers. That little hole just under their nose swallows up in idle hours that money which should put clothes on the children's backs and bread on the cottage table. Loose habits grow out of lazy hours. Oh, boy. Was he wise, Mr. John Plowman? Was he wise? He was absolutely wise. And so, by the way, you have experienced this in Hawaii. It happens all the time. It's a common scene. The common scene is that there are certain kinds of people in Hawaii that are not lazy. Who are these people that are not lazy? Who are these people who are not idle? 
Well, we are in touch with them all the time. Yes, ethnic groups. Chinese and Filipinos. Asian people. Yes. Chinese and Filipinos. Yes. We know they work hard. They work two jobs. They spend every hour, it seems like, working. Now, we don't know why they're doing that, but perhaps one reason is because they want to, they want to get over, bring over um, families from the Philippines. So they pull their money together and they buy a house. And then next time we pull the money together again to buy another house. And pretty soon it's your turn to get money put together for you to buy a house too. And so really hardworking people. You have to credit the Filipinos for working hard. You have to credit the Chinese, the Asian, the Vietnamese, they work hard. They work hard. Maybe we sometimes work too hard. What does that mean? Sometimes we think that money is the most important thing and every hour means a dollar. Whereas sometimes we should just rest, go to church. Go to church, rest, sleep, make time for your family, rather than just work, 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 work. However, um, the exception proves the rule. Work is a good thing. All right, let's go on. Um, he says this, Mr. Plowman does to the common man. Show me a loving husband, a worthy wife, and good children, and listen, imagine with me what he's saying now. And no pair of horses that ever flew a long road could take me in a year, in a year's time, where I could see a more pleasing sight. Home is the grandest of all institutions. Wow, that is very, very strong and powerful. I read that one again. I want you to digest that one. Show me a loving husband, a worthy wife, and good children. And no pair of horses. Today it would be and no car, no airplane, no train, no mode of transportation could take me on the road for one year where I could see a more pleasing sight. I would not find a better scene than what I just described is what he's saying, Mr. Plowman. He said, a home like that is the best thing to see. Home is the greatest, grandest of all institutions. Well, I hope it'll get like that again in America, but I'm not sure. There are difficulties, he says, Mr. Plowman did, in everything except in eating pancakes. <laughs> there are difficulties in everything in life except in eating pancakes. Don't think about how did wise that is. That? Yes, it's a quote. That's not my chingism. There are difficulties in everything except in eating pancakes. And that is the man who's working on the, in, in uh, uh, making wagon wheels, the man is doing in, in uh, making horseshoes, the man is working in the, you see, they say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that helped them when they have trouble in their business, when their, their horse gets sick and has to put it away, or when things fall apart. And so the application is very strong. There are difficulties in everything, everything. But we want smooth sailing in everything. But he says, Mr. Plowman does, difficulties are in everything, except in eating pancakes. Well, in other words, there are some things that are just nice in life that happens, some pleasantness, some pleasant things in life that's nice. An ice cream cone that costs only 99 cents, that's a pleasant treat. With chocolate on it, that's a double treat. 
Those are pleasant things. Those things are not difficult. But generally speaking, he says, life is difficult. And if you realize that, he tells his readers in a roundabout way, it's okay when Monday is a bad day. It's okay when Tuesday is a bad day. It's okay when you have a bad day in the week because life is difficult. And people are strengthened to know that, yeah, that tree fell. And you ever see people, these professional tree trimmers, there's a huge, there's a huge tree next to a house and they've got rope and everything. And the homeowner's saying, now, you sure you guys can cut this tree down? When it falls, we'll hit the barn, right? You, you're sure, right? It won't, right? Right, right? It won't, it won't. Oh, yeah, we got on the Don't worry about it. We're going to tie this. We're going to go up there. Da, 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 da. And we're going to pull it this way so it'll, it'll pull, pull away from the house. Don't worry about that. We gotta, we, we've done this so many times. But the, the homeowner's saying, oh, I don't know about that. Well, I can't afford that tree to hit my hit roof and destroy. And then you know what happens? They cut this tree. Something bad else happens. It's called Murphy's Law. They cut that thing down, and then you hear a crack, and they say, Timber, and the tree is falling. Oh, no, 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 no. And by that time, it's too late. They cannot pull with all their strength this huge two-ton tree that's going to fall, and it hits and crushes the, the truck, and it clips the corner of that house, and there's like, oh, no. Difficulties and everything. That's a difficult one. Because that was not, not, not necessary. That was avoidable. Oh boy. You ever see kids who um, roller skate or skateboard and they go on railings and public property things? And sometimes people do goofy things. They run, uh, let's say they're at a, 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 a lake and there's a, a ramp and it's, made, it's got wood. Um, the pier and they run, it's slippery, they run and they're going to jump in dive the water but they slip and instead they hit the head and you know, it's like kind of funny but bad things happen all the time happens all the time and so difficulties in everything except eating pancakes flat tires, accidents, sickness happens all the time along that line he says this Mr. Plowman did nobody ought to be expected to untie all the knots in a net oh what does that mean? Well, he is using life in the 19th century, in everyday life that people understand. Nobody ought to be expected to untie all the knots in a net or to make straight which God has made crooked. Hmm, that's a deep one there. There's some situations, there's some things that you'd like to fix, but you can't. There's some things you'd like to change, but you can't. There's some things that you just want to help, but you cannot untie the knots in a net because it's crooked. It cannot be straightened out. And so no one has all the answers or can solve all problems now at this point. But maybe at another point, at another time, you could straighten that out. You could untie that knot, but not now. You don't have the answer now, but maybe next week you'll have the answer. Don't have the answer next week, but maybe next month you'll have the answer. We heard about a man who was asked a Bible question and he didn't know the answer. And the man said, you don't know the answer to that? And the, the man, the pastor said, I don't know the answer to that. And this man who asked that question, he expected him to have all the answers. And this, this preacher says, I don't know all the answers. And the man says, well, what's wrong with you? He says, nothing's wrong with me. I don't have the answers. And then he explained, I don't have the answers now. It doesn't mean I won't have the answer, won't have the answer next week, but I don't have the answer now. And then he said, I don't have the answer. But it doesn't mean someone else doesn't have the answer. It's just that I don't have the answer now. 
So in other words, you don't have to be the all solver of all mysteries. No. Oh, by the way, I was listening to something about UFOs. You know that there are a lot of, there are millions of UFO sightings documented. And do you know that there are some that are just fake? And do you know that there are some that are reasonably explained? And do you know that there are some that are unexplainable? But I heard a man give an explanation for them that made a lot of sense. I never heard about it before. And so 10, 20 years ago, maybe even last year, I thought of only one way to explain UFOs. But now my brain has been stimulated to think that there is another explanation as to what are these phenomena that fly at uh, 30,000 miles an hour and stop and make a right angle turn or things like that. Well, there's an explanation for that. So the, the understanding here is you may not know how to fix it now or you don't have the answer now, but maybe later on you will. Uh, is not a man better than a beast? This is about food again. Is not a man better than a beast? Then depend upon it. What is good for the plowing horse is good for the plowing boy. What is he talking about? What's good for a plowing horse is good for a plowing boy. What is he talking about? What is good? Is not man better than a beast? Then be sure of this or depend upon this or depend upon it. What is good for the plowing horse is good for the plowing boy. What is the point he's making? The sentence is not complete yet, but I want to ask you if you think you know what he's talking about. I think because of the time when he lived, some people had children working for them and they actually took better care of their animals than they did of the children that were working for them. Hmm. Okay, that's a good thought. Here's the completion of the sentence. Is not a man better than a beast? Then depend upon it. What is good for the plowing horse is good for the plowing boy. A belly full of plain food is a wonderful help to a laboring man. A horse that works hard, feed it so it can continue working. It has, and a boy who works hard, feed him so he can be nourished and Satisfied that he worked hard, he's rewarded. Oh, that's a good one right there. All right, here's another one I'm going to finish pretty soon. I really enjoyed looking at these. A starving workman is a dear servant. Now, that was a hard one to figure out. A starving workman is a dear or a good servant. Oh, what do you mean, Mr. Plowman? This is intended to have the average man, the regular working class people. Ah, I got it. What do you working people think? A starving workman is a dear servant. Why is he a dear servant is the question you might want to ask. Okay, we can't stay here until Sunday, but here's the answer. If he wants to eat, he'll finish the work. If he wants to if he wants to have the fun, he'll get the job done. If he wants to be rewarded, he wants to get the pizza, he'll get the job done. 
All right, we're not gonna stop for lunch until this is done. If we don't finish this, we won't, we won't have to finish this first before we eat. So a boy, a young man, a, an adult, a starving workman is a dear servant. He'll work and get it done because he wants to eat. Mm, that was a good one there. And then we finish up by this one. I don't know why it happened to be that work was prominent tonight. He who labors well should be fed well. <laughs> Especially a plowman. He who labors well should be fed well. And so we began by saying, he being dead yet speaketh. Uh, that is absolutely true. Mr. Spurgeon was quite the preacher, quite the writer, and using uh, John Plowman was a real effective tool to reach the common working man and to encourage him to do well. All right? I'm getting hungry thinking about all this. All right. Next week I have more because John Plowman has about 14 chapters in this booklet. And so I'd like to cover some of that in August on Wednesday nights because there's a lot more that are concentrating on certain issues, uh, different topics. So he has some on uh, money, work, again, we won't cover work because we covered some tonight, but uh, a lot of good issues that are very practical at that time and practical in this time. So we don't always have to have deep, heavy doctrinal studies or lessons. We don't have to talk about prophecy all the time or uh, question, um, you know, we, we sometimes need milk. And I would consider John Plowman to be milk, but also good, wise, common sense things that is good for us because we're common people. We need John Plowman today. Okay? All right. We'll see you Sunday. The Lord willing. Thank you, Lord, for letting us uh, be here for prayer and for church study. Help us, Lord, to be wise, wiser than we were last week. May John Plumman speak to our hearts and speak to our heads and, and help us to be uh, people of common sense and wisdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.